100 kids that have been coming to Vacation Bible School. We've had a really great time, and uh, the Lord is really touching their hearts, and wonderful teaching, uh, of course, which is the cornerstone of why we're doing Vacation Bible School, and they've been learning about God's provision and faithfulness, and, um, and looking at Jesus and his provision for them and for us and his faithfulness as well. So uh, two more days, and uh, we're just encouraging the kids to bring more friends and more um, uh, you know, relatives or whoever that they can bring. And uh, so keep that in prayer uh, over the next couple of days as we will finish up. As I mentioned, after the service, it, it was interesting. Um, you saw that we cleared the sanctuary. So if anyone wants to stay around and we need to clear it out again for tonight and get things set up for the next two days, uh, we'll be doing that after the service. So with that said, Nehemiah chapter 10, Nehemiah chapter 10, we're going to cover chapters 10 11 and 12, all right? Three chapters tonight. I was gone last week, so I've got to make up ground, all right? So we'll be fine. A lot of it is names, and we're going to kind of be surveying these three chapters. I was gone last week. Uh, I was actually doing a wedding up in Estes Park. If you need a Bible, Pastor John's got some Bibles uh, back there in the back. Just raise your hand. With all the weddings and, and funerals and, and special services and VBS, I'm still thinking camels and, and flowers and cakes and everything else. So, um, but anyway, um, I was doing a wedding in Estes Park. And normally, um, I have never missed a service to do a wedding um, because um, doing the teaching of the Word of God and services Wednesday and Sundays is a priority with me. But I made it an exception in this case because the uh, groom, uh, he grew up in the church uh, here at Calvary Chapel, and then the bride, I've known their family for 35 years. Matter of fact, went to high school with their mom and her aunts and all of that, so um, I officiate their wedding last week. And um, so that's why I was gone, and we'll get back to, to uh, the book of Nehemiah here tonight in just a few minutes. I do want to pass along a couple quick announcements. There is the Singles Bible Study on Saturday, 5 o'clock, followed by Potluck at 7 o'clock, so you can sign up at the information desk. And don't forget to mark on the 21st as Koinia Fellowship. Uh, Jerry and Sandy is going to be hosting, and uh, all that information is there. Also on Sunday is Father's Day. A couple things. The bookstore will be open after the service, so if you need to go in, and there's some great materials in there for you to be able to buy for Dad if you want to buy a Father's Day gift. So also it is the end of the baby bottle campaign, so if you took one of those bottles as a fundraiser for the Pregnancy Center, please bring it back, and we'll have the, uh, the cradle out there. And um, you can put it in there, and uh, we'll get that to the Pregnancy Resource Center, all right? Other things that are there in your bulletin, but we do want to get into the study of God's Word. I want to remind you, speaking of weddings, um, on Sunday, 8.30 and 10.30 are two services. We'll be back to our normal time. I hope you enjoyed Sunday's service. Um, out, you know, with the tent, the weather held out for us. We got the tent down before the torrential rains came, and uh, we just really had a great time, and we're thankful to the Lord uh, for the great things that He has done over the years here at Calvary Chapel, and looking forward to what He wants to do, but um, I wish we could do it every Sunday, but uh, we're not, and we'll be here 8.30, 10.30, and we'll continue in our study in John's Gospel, and we are going to be looking at Jesus' first miracle that took place at a wedding, so we'll be looking at the uh, miracle that Jesus did at the wedding at Cana. And there's a lot of application to be made. So grab somebody, bring them out to Calvary Chapel. A quick reiteration that I kind of been pressing, that John's gospel really presents Jesus as the Son of God and as the Messiah and the one who brings eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's important uh, to really be praying for us who it is that you might bring that needs to hear that truth and uh, needs to hear the gospel message. And a great opportunity for them, just as the Greeks came in John chapter 12 and said, we wish to see Jesus. I think that's the greatest request that we have there in the scriptures. We wish to see Jesus. And that's what we're going to do as we go through John's gospel. We're going to see Jesus clearly and who he is, who he claimed to be and what he did for us and going to the cross and provided for, uh, forgiveness of sin and then as he rose from the grave, uh, validating what he did. And um, our eternal life comes through him. So um, invite somebody out. Also, um, the next couple of weeks, Wednesdays, 
we're going to finish the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. Chapter 13 is a very rich chapter. Some very, very important uh, truths and principles that are there that we're going to look at. It's going to take two weeks to go through chapter 13. And then when we get into July, for the Wednesday nights in July, what we're going to do is we're going to do a five-week series on a call to faithfulness. And what I'm going to do is we're going to look at men like Nehemiah. We'll look at men uh, like Daniel, um, Joshua, Paul in the New Testament. These were men that were faithful to the Lord, and uh, they lived lives that uh, were dedicated to the Lord. They were used of the Lord, and I really believe that we need to be encouraged, especially in the day in which we're living in, where there's so many pulls, there's so many temptations and distractions that are out there, how it is that we can be faithful to the Lord. We're going to look at some very important principles and truths, like the priority of the Word of God and prayer in our lives. How is it that we can be strong and courageous, as the Scripture says? that we are to, to be and, and that commandment and is given to us and that exhortation uh, that we're called to holiness and to purity, um, how to be a godly example to others. And then we will see how it is that we can finish our race uh, with joy and run that race well. And uh, so I hope it's a great encouragement. Come out on Wednesday nights and next several weeks. We are going to be blessed by the study of God's Word. And also the air conditioning is on full blast here when we get into July, so it's nice and cool. But invite somebody out. A call to faithfulness uh, during the month of July, and then we'll finish up Nehemiah over the next couple of weeks here. So, Father, we ask that tonight as we cover these chapters in the book of Nehemiah, there's a lot of names, but there's a purpose to it. And, Lord, I pray that we would be attentive. We thank you again that we are here tonight, settled into our seats, being able to be comfortable. But Lord, we want to be committed. We want to be committed right now to hear your word, to make application, to Lord, to see your faithfulness, and, um, and touch all of our hearts here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Nehemiah, he comes to Jerusalem, and we saw that he built the wall around Jerusalem. It took him only 52 days, which was a miracle. And as Nehemiah would come in and he would uh, begin to have the city be restored and rebuilt, the wall being a very important part of that, but also they're going to have to be rebuilding the streets in Jerusalem as well. But Nehemiah also knew that the spiritual aspects of them coming back into the land after the captivity was a priority. So Nehemiah, this godly man, the cupbearer to the king, who came back to oversee that project also has been establishing worship at the temple once again, getting the priests and the Levites in line um, so that there is worship, uh, the people being called back to follow after God. And we saw that the priests and Levites in chapter 9, that they stood up after there was the reading of the word of God in chapter 8, as Ezra read the word of God, the people were weeping, they were mourning, uh, because they realized that they had sinned against the Lord. But also there was gladness as well because of the mercy and grace of God that had brought them out of that captivity back into their homeland, back to Jerusalem and back to Judah. So that has taken place. And Nehemiah is, uh, is raising up leaders. His brother Hananiah is a leader. And Hananiah uh, also being raised up as uh, a leader because he is going to head back after we read our text here tonight, after chapter 12. He goes back to be the cupbearer to the king, and then we're going to see some problems will arise at that point uh, after Nehemiah leaves. But here we see that Nehemiah is really establishing the spiritual priorities um, back into the land because he knows that for Jerusalem and, and Judah to prosper once again, it needs to be more than just buildings and walls and streets being built. But there needs to be the spiritual priority of the word of God and following the commands of the Lord and also uh, being ones that uh, worship there at the temples being restored once again. They celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles and there was great gladness. And then we saw the priests and the Levites as they're beginning to take that spiritual lead in the land that the great prayer of Nehemiah chapter 9, the longest prayer that we have in the scriptures, 35 verses, that there is a, a recounting of their 
their history. Ever since uh, Genesis 12, they began to remember how God brought Abraham into, you know, the land of Canaan, gave him a promise and a covenant. And then all that history from the time of Abraham through Moses that brought the children of Israel into the promised land. And you recall as they were praying, they, they said, Lord, that um, even though we uh, were ones that hardened our hearts against you, we rebelled against you, uh, you are the one that is gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger and abundant in kindness. And uh, you did not forsake them. You brought them eventually into the promised land. So all that history that we went through that we've been studying here, here on Wednesday nights, going through the Old Testament, bring them to the point of there was this, uh, this rededication to the Lord. And in chapter 9, it ends in verse 38, and because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to renew the, uh, this covenant with God that they had had ever since the Lord had called them out as a people. And what that was was just an outward sign of what God was doing in their hearts. Their hearts were turning towards the Lord. There was real renewal and rededication and revival that has taken place here. And that's what we're going to talk about as we cover these chapters. Now, again, there's a lot of names here in chapters 10, 11, and 12. So I'm not going to read all the names. We're going to kind of survey it. But in chapter 10, now those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah the governor. And then uh, in verses 1 through 27, there is those names who sign uh, this covenant with uh, the Lord once again, this renewal um, and, uh, of a covenant with God they are making. And in verses 1 through 8, as you outline the chapter, you see the priests that signed it are listed. And then verses 9 through 13, there are the Levites that are listed. And then in verses 14 through 27, the civic leaders sign it as well. So those names are there. Now, whenever we get to chapters in the Old Testament particularly, when there's a lot of names and there's genealogy um, and names that are listed, such as we see in the book of Ezra, in the book of Nehemiah, always remember this, that God did not put those names in there just to fill up space, all right? He put those names in there because he remembers those who belong to him, the work that they've done, and he sees their heart. And we know that um, these individuals are important to the Lord. And I want you to remember that because he sees your hearts. And he knows that as you desire to live for him and to serve him, maybe the world won't notice. Um, maybe the world will make it difficult. It will make it difficult for you and others make it difficult for you. People don't notice you, but the Lord does. And remember this, that you are on his mind and on his heart constantly. And these names are recorded for all eternity because they were important to the Lord. These individuals that signed this covenant to the Lord. So that's what we have in verses 1 through 27. And then in verse 28, what we're going to see in this chapter is four results of revival. We're going to see four results of rededication. Again, the outworking uh, of what takes place when God touches us inwardly. Let's read in verse 28 of chapter 10. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethiums, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land, to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, those joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. So first of all, what we see here in verse 29 is they were joined to their brethren. And that's what's happening here. Before, there was, a, just, um, there was division that we saw earlier in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, there were some of the brethren taking advantage of others. But now at this point, as the word of God has been read, as they've been celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, as they've been seeking the Lord, as, as um, they put on sackcloth and ashes, as we saw in chapter 9, just a sign of just seeking Him and, and really desiring to press in with the Lord. Um, we know that there's unity that is happening. And this is a powerful thing, and it needs to happen at this time 
for again Judah and Jerusalem to really be prosperous and one of the things that we see here is when there is revival when there's uh, revival uh, in an individual when there's uh, rededication and, and restoring that has taken place in an individual also in a family when it begins to spread there in a church family unity will happen and unity is so very important and that's God's desire for us here at Calvary Chapel for the work of God to continue listen there needs to be unity one of the things that we see particularly in the New Testament but we see it throughout the scriptures that whenever there is division among God's people the work of God stops and that's why Paul addressed it so directly there in the uh, letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians now we know that as you read that letter 1 Corinthians, it was a corrective letter. But we also know that as they had a lot of problems that Paul is addressing, what was the very first problem that he addressed? His very first concern was their division that was taking place. Hey, some of you say that you're of Apollos. Some of you are saying that you're a Cephas. Some of you are saying you're of Paul. And those of you who are really prideful and, and uh, puffed up uh, that are separating yourselves from others, you're saying that we're the super spiritual ones. We're of Christ. And Paul was concerned about that because it was bringing division in the church of Corinth and it was bringing carnality. And that's what he addresses in the first three chapters of that epistle we also know that paul would address it to the church of philippi there was two individuals that uh were you know for some reason that were quarreling and it was causing people to take sides so he says strive together with one mind one accord one spirit be worthy of of the gospel paul is pleading with them and we know that jesus that he is the head of the church he's the cornerstone of the church he is the foundation of the church and as we talked about on sunday he stands in the midst of the church as you look at revelation chapter one the church is this living organism it's not an organization it's an organism it's alive it's living stones being put together he has chosen the church for us to be able to be a light to a very dark world and also for us to be able to edify and encourage one another and unity needs to be a very important part of that and one of the things that has really truly blessed me over the last couple of weeks is just seeing the unity that is here at calvary chapel uh, as we have special services as um, there's a lot that's been going on and and so many have rolled up their sleeves and helped out in so many different ways and and seeing everybody coming together in the one service and setting things up and then tearing things down and getting things set up for vacation bible school it's been wonderful and it's been wonderful to see it uh being worked out in in this church and i know that it delights the lord and when there is unity and that's taken place we can do so much and, and it's fun to watch and it's glorious and it's a blessing to watch as well you know after the, the um you know vacation bible school you know the kids are tired the high schoolers and and some of the other helpers that were here and yet here it is 12 30 as the kids are going out it's lunchtime, uh long morning and yet everybody is getting chairs back and cleaning and um you know it's wonderful to watch nobody's complaining nobody's you know grumbling you know as um you know i'm being bossy and telling people grab this table and the kids the kids were so great your kids are so great the high schoolers a group of girls you know we said hey girls can you go clean the bathrooms and and you know six of them grabs brooms and mops and everything else and when they went into the boys bathroom they all screamed i don't know why they did <laughs> they're screaming and yuck and all this and but they did it in unity you know they were together and um it's wonderful it really is a blessing to watch i just sit back and think wow lord thank you listen as long as there's unity we know that god is working and there is no church that is perfect just like there's no family that's perfect and there are always issues that need to be dealt with and things that you know that um that come up that that as we do it in a biblical manner and as we look out not only for our own interests but for the interests of others that we're going to see God's going to do powerful things and he's going to continue doing the work here. So they were, they were joined to their brethren, but second of all, also, that we see there was a, a renewed commitment to God's word. 
to know him, as we read here, uh, to, to walk in God's law, as verse 29 says, uh, given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God. Listen, there will not be growth in your spiritual life. There will not be growth in the spiritual life of this church if we are not committed to the word of God. Christians are very dry and they're weak because they're dismissing a commitment to the word of God. And we're seeing that more and more in the church today. Listen, if you do dismiss the priority and the importance of the word of God and the work of the spirit in your life, you will not grow. You will become weak and you'll become dry and you'll become frustrated. So it's important that there's a commitment to the word of God in your life and not just knowing it, but having it worked out in your life. And that's what's happening here. We continue in verse 30, that we would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. So there is a separation from the world. Thirdly, you know, it's important for us to understand, because this is going to be a question that comes up with Christians, that do I isolate myself or separate myself completely from non-believers of the world? Listen, we are called to be witnesses, aren't we? And we are called to be a light that storms the darkness. And I don't believe that the Lord has called us to isolate ourselves completely from, you know, non-believers. We are around them. They're around us. And we have opportunity to love them and give them truth. And we are the gospel that they are reading that, um, as they look at our lives. Because a lot of people, they won't read the gospels. They won't read, you know, the Bible. But they're going to read you. So... It isn't that um, there's complete isolation, but there is insulation. And what I mean by that is just be careful and wise. Don't let the world or others begin to affect you and bring you down spiritually. And we need to be wise in how we do it and how it is that we're witness. And sometimes people will come to me and say, well, you know, Jesus, he went over to Matthew's house and he was eating with all the, the sinners and tax collectors. And yes, he did. But remember the context that Matthew decided to follow Jesus and it was at Matthew's house. He invited all his, you know, unbelieving friends, you know, other sinners and tax collectors for the purpose of meeting Jesus. So don't think that there was this big wild party that was going on and all this that was taking place. And you recall that it was the Pharisees that came and, and they were upset at, um, you know, what had taken place. And uh, they were upset at, uh, you know, that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and, and sinners. And they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen, we are to be ones that we are to introduce Jesus to them. But what I'm saying is just be careful. Be wise in that. Don't meddle to your own hurt. I've had guys come in and said, well, I ended up going to this party or going to you know, this, this bar with the guys, and I had all the great intentions of witnessing to them, but once I got in there, the temptation was too great, and um, I ended up falling to where um, I ended up doing some things that were not pleasing to the Lord whatsoever and saying some things that weren't. So Matthew had Jesus over to his house for the fact that those people meeting Jesus, hey, I'm no longer going to follow the, the king or the emperor of Rome but I'm going to follow the king of kings. So be a light to others, all right? Be a witness to them, but don't meddle to your own hurt. And I think that's a principle and the truth that we see. Don't be conformed to this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And then in verses 31 through 39, what we have here is the peoples of the land brought wares and any grain to sell on the Sabbath day. We would not buy it from them on the sabbath or on a holy day we would forego the seventh year's uh, produce and the exacting of every debt so uh, they were going to go back to observing the sabbath and not selling and buying grain on sabbath day keep that in mind because when we get to the next chapter uh, here 13 
we're going to see that they're going to violate that when Nehemiah comes back after a certain period of time and uh, he has to address that. Also, getting back to the sabbatical year where they would rest the land. So you can read that, and what they did is you read the rest of it. They would bring the first fruits, uh, verse 37, if you'll turn to there, of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priests and the descendants of Aaron shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain and new wine and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who ministered and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. So there was a renewed giving to the Lord. And of course, the people were to give to the Levites and the priests. So they were provided for. Again, keep that in mind, all right, for next week when we get into chapter 13, because we're going to see that also that ended up being neglected as well. But here's the thing. When there is real renewal and there is rededication, when God is really touching our hearts and drawing us to himself, then giving to him is going to be a great joy. You show me a Christian who is very giving in their devotion to the Lord and in their time and service to the Lord, of their resources to the Lord, and I'll show you a Christian who's really being touched by the Lord. And they're not burdened by it. They see it as a great joy. They do it willingly. They do it freely, and that's what you and I are to do as well. And so there's just a renewed commitment uh, in giving to the Lord as he's drawing us to himself. So four signs of revival taking place in our own hearts and in, in a, a church. You're joined to your brethren. That is, there's unity. There is a renewed commitment to the word of God or a continued commitment to the word of God. There's a separation from the world and then renewed giving to the Lord. Let's go into chapter 11 as we read in verse 1. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem and rest of the people cast lots to bring one uh, out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all of the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So here's the thing. At this time, the walls are up, the gates and doors have been hung. Most of the people, though, at this time, lived outside the city. And Jerusalem was kind of a, a ghost town. It, there still was rubble. There still needed to be a lot of uh, projects of rebuilding the streets and, and fixing things up. And it was easier for the people to be out in the suburbs where they could have their gardens, they can have their cows, they can kind of, you know, uh, have their gardens and things to where uh, it was easier for them to live than to live, you know, with all this rubble and stones that are around. But we also know, again, that if Jerusalem was to be a great city again, it had to be repopulated. So what's going on here is there is um, this uh, a, a lot that is happening um, that is being casting of lots to bring people into Jerusalem. But notice here in verse 2 that the leaders are being the example, that they said, we're going to dwell in Jerusalem, and they set the example as leaders should set the example. Listen, I believe as a Christian that every single one of us, that the Lord is calling you to be a leader in some way, some aspect, whether it's a leader in your home to your children, whether it's a leader in, in ministry in some way in the church, or a leader spiritually in your workplace. You are called to lead, to be in some kind of leadership, and you are to set the example. It's very important that we do that. And as we set the example in how we live our lives and what we do with our lives, it's going to be a blessing to others. And it's going to show the reality of Jesus working in our lives that he is true uh, in our hearts. And that's what these leaders are doing. Hey, we know that, that the future of Jerusalem depends on it being repopulated. And so what we want to do is we're going to go and dwell in Jerusalem. It won't be easy, but we're going to be committed to doing that. So they were doing it willingly uh, to do this. And the question for all of us to ask here tonight is what has God called you to do? And where are you to dwell? Where are you to dwell? Where is it that he has you? 
be an example to others. And I know for me, as I pastored this church, I'm reminded of what Peter wrote in his epistle, and his first one in chapter 5, verse 2, that for the shepherds, the shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So may we be ones that were an example to others and do it willingly. May we do it freely. May we do it eagerly as well. And then in verse 3, these are the heads of the province who dwell in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities, Israelites and priests and Levites and Nethium and the descendants of Solomon's servants as also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and the children of Benjamin and the children of Judah. And then we begin to get into the names once again here as the names are listed in verses 4 through verse uh, 9 here. And um, so we won't read all of those names, but the names of the leaders of the tribes and Benjamin um, are, of course, listed. They were the two tribes, right, that made up the house of Judah before they were taken off into captivity. In verse 10 of the priest, Jediah, and then in verses 10 through 18, the priests are listed as well as the Levites. And, of course, the priests and the Levites, again, that Nehemiah has get, getting them established to where they're serving in the temple once again and that there's temple worship that has taken place. So their names are listed in verses 10 through 18. In verse 19, uh, what we have is the gatekeepers that are listed there, uh, 172. And then in verse 20, the rest of Israel and the priests and Levites were in all the cities of Judah, everyone uh, in his inheritance. So what we have here is the Nethiums that... Uh, in verse 21, who dwelt in Ophel and the other places. Who were the Nethians again? They were the ones originally from the tribe of Gibeon, clear back in the book of Joshua. Joshua, after he defeated Jericho, and after they began to take the land, uh, the, these, you know, a tribe of the Canaanites came and they fooled Joshua into having a covenant that you won't destroy us. And Joshua was fooled into making that covenant so what happened was they ended up being servants to the children of Israel, and they served in the tabernacle, and they served in the temple. And here it is a thousand years later, and they're still serving in the way that God had told them to. So here the names continue. Also the overseers of the Levites, verse 22. Uh, you have the singers that are listed there. Um, and also in verse 24, what you have here is the representatives. And then verses 25 through 36, that takes us to the end of the chapter. We have the villages and the towns that are listed here um, that are throughout Judah. And then in chapter 12, we read, Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel and Joshua here. So the first 11 verses of chapter 12 is uh, consist of a list of priests and Levites who had returned nearly 100 years previously under Zerubbabel and Joshua and whose families are still in the area. So God remembers them coming back, and they're listed here again for a couple reasons, because genealogy was very important in ancient Israel. But second of all, that as you are faithful to the Lord, especially in those times where it is very difficult, he remembers it. And it is recorded for all eternity as you serve him. And you are going to be rewarded for all eternity. That's one of the things that, again, the high schoolers, before we have um, the Vacation Bible School starts, that I've been doing devotions with them. And I want them to understand about serving and serving the Lord and doing it freely and willingly. What God has to say about children and, and coming to Him and ministering to them and how important that is, but also that as they serve and give a cup of water to a child, and they do that out of love for the Lord and love for that child, that the Lord sees that and he's going to remember it and they will be rewarded for all eternity. So to understand that what we do for Christ is what's going to last. And we all need to remember that. And I desire for them especially to remember that at a young age because they're making decisions. What is it that I'm going to do? And there's so much temptation and there's, there's so much uh, pressure for them to, you know, be noticed and, um, you know, what society has to say and uh, be popular and everything else. You serve the Lord. 
and you serve the Lord with excitement and you serve the Lord in humility and you receive those children and you serve the Lord faithfully and he's going to see you and he's going to reward you for that. So here these guys coming back 100 years previously was very difficult. The city was completely destroyed. And we see here that um, they are listed once again as they came back. So in verses 12, in the days of Jehoiakim, through verse 21, as we just kind of outline the chapter once again, we see the priests that are listed there during the days of Jehoiakim. Now, he was the son of Joshua, the high priest. Remember, Joshua is the one that came back with Zerubbabel. So here the names are listed as well. And then in verses 22 through 26, during the reign of Darius the Persian, a record was also kept of the Levites and priests who had been heads of their father's houses in the days of Eliashib and these guys that are listed there. Again, that you had to show and prove your genealogy if you were going to serve as a Levite, serve as a priest. But during the reign of Darius, it was during the reign of Darius, you might recall, that in the book of Ezra, that when Cyrus, the first king, in 536 B.C., he gave the decrees, Zerubbabel, you can go ahead and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And that's what they did. They went back, they built the altar there where it was in the days of Solomon so they can do sacrifices. They built the foundation of the temple, but then the work stopped, didn't it, for about 12 years? And they began to rebuild the temple uh, once again. And when that started, Darius was the king. And the enemies of the Jews, seeing the temple being rebuilt, wrote a letter to Darius and said, Darius, these guys are rebelling against you. They're building the house of the Lord. They don't have permission. And, um, and so the Jews said, yes, we do. We had permission from Cyrus. And it was Darius, as we read in Ezra chapter 6, that diligently searched for the decree that, you know, that Cyrus had made that they could rebuild the house of God. Darius was the one that was ruling during the time that Daniel was his right-hand man. And remember, Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 was thrown into the den of lions. So Darius really showed favor to the Jews. He said, I found the decree, leave them alone, let them rebuild their temple, and they did. So the Levites listed during the reign of Darius the Persian. And then in verses 27, uh, we see the dedication of the wall around Jerusalem. Uh, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals and string instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem from the villages of the, um, the Neto uh, Panthites and from the house of Gilgad, and from the fields of Geba, and all the other places that are listed there, the Amosbeth, and the singers, and built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. So as we see that the Levites are called to lead in worship, it was a celebration, uh, a time to rejoice, um, and the dedication is a time to recognize what God has done. To rejoice in that, to give him thanks, that's what we did on Sunday, didn't we? Great things that you have done, Lord. And whatever the Lord is doing in your life, personally, and whatever he's doing in your family, and whatever he's doing in this church corporately, we always want to give praise and thanks to him. We got so much to be thankful for, so much to look forward to, but also to remember that he is the one that is faithful, and he's the one that's doing that work in our lives and in this church corporately. And um, I hope that you're celebrating. Uh, I know that I am. I'm, I'm so thankful for the Lord, for the great things that he's doing and wants to continue to do. And, um, and I pray that we always have a heart of rejoicing as we remember that. And then in verse 30, the priests and the Levites purified themselves and, and the people in the gates and the walls. So they purified themselves before worship. And I think that's an important truth that we see here. Really, to enter into a time of worship, there needs to be a time of coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, like David did, search me and try me and see if there be, you know, any wickedness in me and lead me to the way everlasting. In other words, that we need to purify ourselves. We cannot honestly worship the Lord if we're living in deliberate sin. But to come to him and say, Lord, oh Lord, please, 
I want to draw close to you. Lord, I, I want to be cleansed by you. Forgive me. It's like David, what he wrote in Psalm 24, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. So we should be, as we come into this place of worship, that, Lord, I want to draw close to you. That's the purpose of worship. They enter into his praises. Uh, to, to, uh, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And I don't want to have a defiled heart. I don't want to be continuing deliberately in sin. But, Lord, to come to you and to confess that, and, and, Lord, I need you, and I need your help. And that's part of worship. Just come with that clean heart. And then in verse 31, so I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs, and one went to the right hand and the wall and towards the refuge gate. So what Nehemiah does is, is you, we're going to just kind of look at these, these verses as we finish here tonight. He organizes two choirs to lead Jerusalem into worship. And one group, big group, is going to be on the wall, and they're going to go clockwise. The other group is going to go counterclockwise, and then they're going to kind of meet at the temple here. Now, that's really important, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But you see that those who are listed there, as you continue reading, um, we read in verse 37, by the fountain gate in front of them, went up the stairs of the city of David, on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. And other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. They're going counterclockwise. And I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim above the old gate above the fish gate the tower of Hanael the tower uh, of the hundred as far as the sheep gate and they stopped by the gate of the prison in verse 40 so the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God likewise I and a half half of the rulers with me the reason that it was important because remember remember as we went through this book that it was tobiah that would say in chapter four that if a fox fox walks on this wall it's going to fall down it's not going to stand and here are these two large groups of choir the levites and the priests come and purifying themselves in true worship walking on the wall it would show those guys that god was faithful and the wall was going to stand, and that God was working, and that their, you know, deception and threats came to nothing. And I hope that's a great encouragement to all of us here tonight, that as the world comes against us and the enemy comes against us, that as it says, as you serve the Lord, as the discouragement and the attacks come, hey, whatever it is that you're doing, it's all going to fall apart. And I, I know that I felt that way. But they stayed true to the Lord. And they remembered the Lord, as Nehemiah said, remember the great and awesome God. You keep fighting. You keep fighting as there's a sword in one hand and a, and a trial in the other. And you fight for your wives. You fight for your children. You fight for your brethren. You keep fighting the good fight of the Spirit. And God's going to see you through, see your family through. He's going to see us through as a church. And there are going to be those that will come along that will say, hey, it's not going to happen. You know, give up. You know, don't continue doing it. And we begin to believe that. But what do we do? We begin to worship. And we just surrender our hearts completely to the Lord. And knowing that whatever it is that he does through us and through you, that it's going to stand. Do you know that? It's going to stand. And that's what they were showing the enemies of those who came against them during all this time, saying you can't rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And all of a sudden there's a day of praise and dedication of the wall. And you know what? The world will look at you and mean say, you can't do that. You can't serve the Lord. Who are you to think that you can disciple some guys at work? Who are you to think that you can teach children? Who are you to think that you can open up your home and minister to people? Who are you to think that you can, you know, serve the Lord in any way or any capacity? Well, the Lord says so. And he will call you, and he will do that work through you, and he'll finish that work 
being confident of this very thing, that he who's begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. And that's what he's doing here. So we see in verse 43 that all that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And at the same time, some of the appointed over the rooms of the storehouse of the offerings, the first fruits, the tithes, the gathered into them from the fields of the cities, the portions uh, specified by the law for the priests and Levites, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. And both the singers and the gatekeepers in verse 45 kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old were the chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. So what we see here is you remember that David, that uh, as they were preparing... uh, uh, he was helping get organized for when his son came along, he would build the temple. He organized the priests and the Levites, as you look at Second Chronicles. And he made it to where there would be worship before the Lord continually. That's now Nehemiah is re-institu- re- reinstituting that ministry. Worship, again, is very, very important for our Christian lives. And also bringing the support for the priests and Levites is being instituted again and making sure that it's being distributed fairly and honestly. But notice in verse 44, the people rejoice over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Listen. We should be thankful for those who serve in the body of Christ in any capacity. And I pray that we would never just see them as, oh, you know, um, you know, we need to, be appreciative of those who are serving in the body of Christ and those who are reaching out to others and that I know that you do but may we just show that appreciation and express that once in a while and encourage them because sometimes we need that and sometimes we need the encouragement so here there is great rejoicing and and being thankful for the priests and the Levites everything's going well here at this point But what we're going to see is when we get into chapter 13 is they're going to get off track. So we'll look at that next time. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for this lesson. We thank you for our Bible study. That as we looked at these three chapters, uh, that, Lord, we can learn. And, Father, my prayer here tonight is this, is that we would be ones that we know that you want to use us. You desire for us to... Lord, just be faithful to what you've called us to do. I pray if there needs to be renewal, rededication here tonight. Anybody that's here listening or maybe listening on live stream, maybe there needs to be a first time coming to the Lord. If that applies to anyone, know this, that Jesus did the work for us on Calvary's cross. He died for our sins. And he cried out, it is finished from the cross. In other words, he paid the price for your sins. Every single one of us have sinned. That's what the Bible says. And we need to turn to Jesus. We need the Savior of the world and believe in him for forgiveness of sin and salvation. There's no other way to forgiveness. There's no other salvation. It's only through Jesus who rose from the grave. So if you've never made a commitment to Jesus, if that means anything to anyone here, we're presenting the gospel to you. And that is through Jesus Christ comes life. That Jesus died for you and loves you and provided forgiveness of sin through his death on the cross. And the Bible says to repent. That means change direction, Surrender your heart to Jesus. You cry out to him. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you pray, Jesus, I come and I confess that I am a sinner in need of you, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, 
I believe you died on Calvary's cross for my sins and you rose again from the grave. Be my personal Lord and Savior. My life is not my own. I now completely surrender my life to you. And thank you for loving me. And thank you for, for hearing my prayer. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. And maybe you're here tonight that maybe there needs to be a rededication. Maybe a, just a, a revival that needs to take place in your heart. The Lord wants you to call out to Him, to draw you to Himself. And anyone that really has a heart to do that, He doesn't reject. He hears you and He sees you. For you to call out to Him and say, Lord, I just want revival. I want a rededication to reaffirm my love for you, my belief in you. And maybe there's various reasons why you feel distant from the Lord. Maybe there's been sin in your life. And you ask the Lord to help you, to, to, to help you have that pure heart and that clean heart, to live after Him. Because sin, it just breaks that closeness with the Lord. Maybe it's because of difficult circumstances or maybe something else. But right now, the Lord is calling you to Himself. And you call out to Him and say, Lord, I just want to have revival restore the closeness that I had once again, a rededication. I believe in you and I love you. And Lord, thank you for bringing me here tonight. Lord, that I can come to worship and I can come to just draw close to you. Thank you for your word given to me. And know that he loves you and he desires to do a work in your heart and in your life. Don't leave your first love. But remember from which you have fallen, as Jesus said, repent and do those first works. Call out to him. And surrender once again to him fully. For all of us here, as we get ready to go our way, Lord, I pray that you would bless the next couple days of Vacation Bible School. Bless those children. You said, don't forbid the children to come to me. And blessed are those who bring a cup of water to a child in my name. We want to bring the good news of the gospel. We want to tell them that Jesus created them, that they're not a product of a monkey, but God made them and has a plan for them and died for their sins. Lord, I pray that the children, as they're blessed, they would go home and bless their families. And Lord, that we would be ones Lord, that we would humble ourselves in childlike faith and humility as we serve you. So, Father, we thank you for tonight. I pray you bless everyone here as we go away. We look forward to Sunday again as we gather and looking at that miracle at the wedding feast and making application and just seeing Jesus more clearly. So, Father, we thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Again, we're going to.